Hello and welcome to Motorpod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode 688. I'm Richard Jowett and this is actually a one-off solo special. Now Jim and I will be recording a show a little bit later on this week to go over the events at the MotoGP races in Argentina. Ahead of that, I wanted to bring you some content focused largely around British Superbike, and I've been able to do that with an exciting guest who happens to have some very exciting news. So, we are delighted to have been joined by ex-Dorna MotoGP presenter, and now just-announced new Eurosport British Superbike presenter, Steve Day. I want to say a big thanks to Steve. Like all of our guests, Steve was incredibly generous with his time, and it goes without saying that his insights and experience make for a great interview, and I hope a really interesting listen for you, the Motopod listeners. So, without further ado, as a little taster of the British Superbike season to come, with the season itself kicking off at Silverstone on April the 15th, here's my chat with Steve. It's Rich again here. I'm back at you with another commentator to talk to. Steve Day is joining us. So, Steve, it's great to have you on Motopod. A very warm welcome to the show. How is everything going as of today? Yeah, everything's absolutely fantastic. Thanks very much, Rich. It's a pleasure to be back on and start talking about some bikes again as well, because it feels like quite a long winter for me. Now, we're recording this on the day that some news is coming out for you, without wishing to preempt anything too much, but it's a hearty congratulations from the Motopod fraternity on the news that you are going to be the new Eurosport commentator for British Superbikes which is very exciting news for everybody and most of all for you. Yeah absolutely it's been a little while uh, in, in waiting to get this news out I'm so excited to be doing it I mean I think for those who do know me I decided to step away from MotoGP at the end of last year I wanted to be home a bit more with my family and we can talk about that more later if you want but I was really looking to try and find something that still involved me in motorcycle racing and to get this opportunity to commentate on Superbike is absolutely brilliant for me because it's the championship I've watched from afar for so long. I say from afar, I've been obviously to a few rounds, but it holds a special place in my heart. It's where it all started for me. In 1996, I went to my first British Superbike meeting and that's where I really fell in love with bike racing because before that, I was really into car racing as a smaller lad, but that won me over. And so, yeah, I just absolutely over the moon. I can't wait to get started. I'm glad it's finally been announced and the season's just around the corner. So you're really excited. Thank you. I always sort of trip over my dates a little bit because I'm going to hit 50 this year, which is a slightly sad and depressing thought. But uh, my first BSB race was at Thruxton and James Whittam and Neil McKenzie were on the Cadbury Boost Yamahas. So I guess that would have been not too dissimilar time into the first race you just mentioned then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 96 was when uh, Neil McKenzie won uh, his first championship. And right. mm. the Cadbury Boost Yamaha, Whitten was his teammate. Yeah. So yeah, I was at Donington. I think that was my first ever round, and I vividly remember. I mean, they were so distinctive, weren't they, the Cadbury Boost Yamaha? So yeah. I remember very, very well. And from there, I was just hooked, going on the back of Dad's motorcycle to various rounds in the UK, and then the odd World Superbike. And of course, that was around that era where World Superbike was so huge and so popular. How could you not be hooked on bike racing as, and particularly super bikes just watching that? So, yeah, probably similar time that we started watching. And it's funny, isn't it? I mean, going off script already, but I mean, you mentioning World Superbike back in those days, in the days of Fogarty and Slight and Pierre Francisco Keeley and stuff. I mean, it was massive, wasn't it, in those days? It's, I mean, it's amazing how MotoGP has kind of turned its fortunes around, I suppose, in a sense. But although World Superbike is equally strong, but BSB, which we're going to come to, obviously, that's the main purpose of this show, is so deep, isn't it, in terms of the quality of the machinery and the quality of the riders? It's, I mean, it's a fantastic endeavor that you're going to get into, isn't it? Equally as big I would say is what you've been doing for the last number of years in MotoGP yeah I mean MotoGP is MotoGP and, and obviously it is at a stage at the moment where it is so good so good to watch very unpredictable and I'm sure there are many people wondering why on earth I've stepped away from that and of course it's the pinnacle of the sport but I think when you look elsewhere, I mean, despite the fact that the World Superbike was a great show last year, because sometimes it only takes two to tango and Jonathan Ray and Toprak put on a, an amazing show last year. But BSB, I mean, to be honest, Richard, just after I think I'd agreed this job for this year, Sykes and Haslam weren't even announced yet. So I was already excited about the season and then they got announced as well. And I thought, well, this is a good time to step in. So yeah, I went to the testing at Snetterton a couple of days ago and honestly, every garage I was walking down, I thought, 
thought, well, there's another contender. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. And before you know it, you've got a list of 15, 16 riders who can win races, which is just mad. Well, hold that thought because we're going to come to that. So, I mean, for the benefit of the Motorpod listeners, as I've said on previous shows, we're really going to try and bring BSB front and centre in the show again. You know, it's difficult because myself and my co-host in America, Jim McDowell, you know, we do focus on MotoGP. That's what the basis of the show has always been. But sporadically, BSB and World Superbike has been part of the show coverage. So I'm going to be getting along to a number of races this year. So I really want to focus in as a Brit on the BSB and stuff. But before we get to that, your voice will obviously be very familiar to many of our listeners. So you've been in commentary with Dorna at MotoGP for quite some years. How many years were you doing that for, Steve? Uh, I joined Dorna in 2015, so uh, it was seventh season in, in all. Uh, the first season I did with Dorna was in World Superbike, and then from 2016 onwards in MotoGP. Okay, so before we come on to perhaps, well, we're not going to dwell on MotoGP too much because that's not really the purpose of the show, but one thing I did just want to pick out, which people might not be particularly aware of, is that you used to be a bike racer yourself, which is a, a great position to commentate from. So how did you get involved in bike racing and which doors opened or closed, which took you from the track to the commentary booth? Uh, yeah, I always try and make this as short as possible because it's quite a long-winded story, but basically from being interested in cars came from, uh, my dad who owned a car sales so car racing was always a thing that we loved Formula 1 in particular he had a car salesman working for him called Jamie Hitter who raced in the 80s uh, really competitively as well against the likes of Foggy etc and then stopped and dad had this great idea of putting together this new club team with Jamie racing again and that got us onto the club scene and then ultimately got us onto the British Championship scene a friend of mine uh, Barry Teasdale at the time just started racing he's just one year older than me he raced in a pretty super teams which was in British Championship and it was almost like well you know we've been inside the paddock behind the scenes I was at the age of 14 15 I want to do this I mean who wouldn't so yeah we just started from there uh, and it was a, a baptism of fire to say the least very very difficult I'm going to be honest and say that it wasn't the easiest time to start racing I don't think any particular time is but I started at the super team championship off racing against Casey Stoner Chaz Davies Tommy Hill Cal Crutchlow Tom Sykes names like this it wasn't a great era to start racing. <laughs> um, no pressure. Yeah, we went from there into 600s and obviously the same names all followed through. And so I was basically getting battered on a weekly basis, trying everything possible. And I think it got three or four years in and we realised British Championship wise, we were not competitive enough. We could go back to club races and maybe get the odd pot here and there. But then as I got older, um, and when I say as I got older, I'm talking about kind of up to maybe early 20s, I realised I wasn't going to make it. It was costing my dad a lot of money, as it always does. And I was hurting myself a bit, to be honest. I've got a couple of injuries and I thought, my heart's not in it. I'm not going to make it. Let's just step away from this. And then, um, to be honest, for about a year, I couldn't even enter a bike paddock. You know what it's like, but you just can't really face it. And um, yeah. And then a couple of years later, my dad decided to get involved with a grassroots racing series, needed somebody to turn up to do some uh, stuff on the microphone and co-present with Jenny Gow, who obviously works in Formula One now. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I've never done it before. I've never presented before, but I'll give it a crack. And yeah, it just kind of, there's so many little stepping stones that it goes from there to there to there I think there was a one weekend there was a live circuit commentator who was absent from illness and so I stepped in to do it and I really really enjoyed it didn't think I did a particularly awful job of it although I wouldn't want to listen back to that now <laughs> a couple of people said oh that was pretty good and so from there I did the commentary for this grassroots racing for a couple of years and then I just kept on plaguing people like Eurosport and different TV companies to give me a chance and, and eventually Eurosport actually were the ones that gave me my break uh, back in 2011 and I worked for them for three years then Dorna and now I'm back with them again so full circle yeah and believe it or not that's the short version of the story (laughs) excellent do you still ride I mean do you ride on the road or do you do track days or anything like that no, I don't. After I quit racing, we had a Kawasaki ZXR 400 in the garage, which we did the odd track day on for a little while. And then life gets in the way, as always. Um, my girlfriend and my wife, um, we moved in and you can't really afford to have bikes around. And I don't think she was particularly keen for me to do that either. I've now got a little boy. I'm planning on trying to sneak one into the garage. <laughs> I'm quick approaching that midlife crisis stage. So I'm definitely thinking about getting one soon. But no, at the moment, I don't actually have a motorcycle that I ride on. And I do miss it on sunny days but yeah uh, we'll see in the future 
I also just wanted to mention, and hopefully this might help you out a little bit, but uh, it's a lesser known fact, uh, certainly probably amongst the Motopod listenership, that amongst your many skills, you've now recently added successful children's author with your book, That Leopard is So Rude. How did that come about? Because that's quite a tangential kind of move career-wise, but uh, obviously there's a story to that. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose when you're a commentator, you've always got to come up with some sort of story here and there in the heat of the moment. I was always into that sort of stuff as a kid, always had quite a creative mind and imagination that runs wild and just found myself when I was reading to my little boy bedtime stories and things that I really, um, I remembered my childhood loving children's books. I was making up stories to him to try and get him to sleep and I just thought, you know what? I might give it a go. Right? What? How hard can it be? It turns out quite hard. <laughs> so I started the idea and I just about got around to it. And I'd done a lot of research into it, contacted a lot of people to see whether it was something that was doable. And then lockdown hits. And obviously everything came to a standstill in terms of what I do for a living. Mm. And it was a case of no time like the present. If I don't do it now, I never will. So I really got serious with it, sent it out to loads of agents. It got rejected by a load of people. Luckily, uh, a young lady called Gracie Wright, who an author herself managed to get hold of her she published it and yeah the, the book it's a it's a story and it still seemed kind of weird for me to call myself a children's author because it, it was very much a hobby thing but I've written another already I really hope that I can get that published as well it's a fun thing to do it's really it's a wholesome fulfilling feeling I've been to some school visits as well to do those to read to children and help them to try and get them to be creative as well so yeah completely different world obviously to yeah. racing but something fun and something different so if ever we get another lockdown which obviously all of us hope that we never do at least if the bike racing comes to a standstill then I've got some children's books to work on i must if i bump into you at bsb this year if you've got a copy in the boot i must buy one off you because my wife uh, is a reception class teacher so i'm sure she'd love to read it to her class as well so motopod listeners if you've got young children get onto amazon i'm sure it's available that leopard is so rude it looks uh, like a fun book anyway yeah So, given that you've spent many years as a commentator with Dorna, just very briefly, because we're going to get on to BSB, but what do you make of the first couple of races of this season? Because, of course, I'm sure you can't help yourself but be watching them. Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, having been in the commentary box covering them for the last six, seven years, I was a bit twitchy watching Qatar. That felt very, very unusual at home watching. I'm sure. But, yes, I have watched both of the races, and it's kind of gone in a way as I expected it to go. I think looking at the season at the start, it was going to be unpredictable there is so much talent there a lot of fresh talent coming into the championship and a lot of riders coming in with form from the last year and it's gone to form really because I think that to try and predict the MotoGP World Championship was always going to be very difficult but I have to say that I really agree with my former colleague and still friend Simon Crayfire and the fact that I don't think you're really going to be able to understand who's where until we get to Europe mm. to see an Bastianini win it was a fantastic race obviously in Indonesia uh, as well but I don't think we can really count our chickens just yet but I I think there's going to be some fun out there I don't know why I mean the great thing about when you're commentating you're obviously really impartial I honestly could say that I never mind who wins uh, races but I've got a feeling in my bones about Brad Binder this year I don't know why Mm. the KTM can rock up at every single round and that's the big question mark then Brad's definitely got the capability of doing it that would be a magnificent story but in truth Richard as you probably are well aware covering it at the moment there's a dozen riders at the moment who are still in the mix for that yeah so you see i mean obviously all the talking point at the moment is around mark marquez and it was a horrific crash for him everyone's got their opinion on what he should do etc but all in all i just hope that they have a, a great time they're off to argentina and austin aren't they in the next couple of weeks so that will be uh, good fun i don't envy their traveling that's all i'll say well no i'm assuming that with a young son in the household now that that was a large part of the reason why you decided it was a good time to step away and look for avenues new so to speak because you know we've spoken as I said with Greg Haynes in recent weeks uh, just put a podcast out today where we were chatting with Gav Emmett from BT Sport and I suppose the flip side to what we all kind of think of as the dream job and I'm sure it is in many respects a dream job traveling the world and being in and around that whole MotoGP village fraternity is the fact that you're away from home just so much and it's a grueling schedule and it gets worse year on year doesn't it? It does yeah everyone's different and everyone copes with things in different ways and I, I think if you don't have any commitments in life it's the best job in the world it's a, it's amazing you travel the world
world and you get to cover bike racing. There are some horrible bits to it as well, of course. I mean, no one likes waiting around in airports. Um, a lot of time you're spent in airports, hotels and paddocks and stuff. But I can't honestly complain about the life that I've had over the last six, seven years. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It was completely family orientated, my decision. It was a really, really difficult one as well because to step away took a long time to kind of come to terms with. But my son is three, just turned three. And I just thought to myself, and I've spoken to other people who have older kids in the paddock and they were telling me their tales. And you constantly find yourself missing things at home. You're watching your son grow on FaceTime. You miss all the parties. You miss your friends. You don't get to see them. I don't get to see my wife very often. I come home. I unpack. I'm home for a few days. I pack and I'm gone. And I just thought, I can't get this time right now back with my son. But there's a chance that in maybe 10 years or maybe less, depending on when he wants to know me. <laughs> there, there might be a time where I could go back to the Grand Prix paddock. Now, that's not being big-headed. Maybe I won't get a chance to do that, but there may be a chance. Whereas I cannot get this time back with my son at this moment in time. And so I thought, look, I'm going to take a step back now. I want a new challenge. I'm going to go back home, see how it goes for a few years. And um, yeah, that was the main reason for me stepping away from the job. It wasn't because I'd fallen out with anyone or fallen out of love with MotoGP. So a big decision, but I do think that ultimately it will be the right decision although it does come into question at four o'clock on some mornings <laughs> <laughs> yeah no totally understandable and nothing against the commentary team in place at dawn and now but trust me you're very much missed on that commentary team oh thank you i can tell you that anyway we're looking forward with a great deal of anticipation and British Superbike 2022 is already looking like a mouth-watering prospect and that's on the back of a stellar 2021 season. So given that you've been so invested in MotoGP for so many years, and I don't imagine that that world that you've inhabited has allowed you an awful lot of spare time to look at in detail at all these other bike racing series. So what's your approach been in terms of getting up to speed with what is a very deep and varied championship series? Uh, yeah, it's difficult because when you are invested in something like MotoGP, you do not have time for a lot else. And I'll be honest, I managed to only catch maybe three rounds last year of British Superbike. That changed a bit in the winter. I looked at a few more races and things like that. But I mean, I think everyone has their own approach. I'm really lucky in the fact that by hook or by crook, I know most of the people in that paddock, whether or not I happen to have raced with a couple of them in the case of, or same time as them, I think race, I'm going to use that term loosely. <laughs> Leon Haslam and Tom Sykes, I've known since I was a boy. And then obviously I've watched a lot of them, the others race competitively a lot of the younger lads as well I mean I would actually say that could probably go as far as to say maybe 60-70% of the riders that I saw at Snetterton at the weekend are riders who I interviewed when they were kids coming up through grassroots Mm. so that was really helpful because I don't feel like I've got to do an awful lot of homework on them but it is a different approach I've got a lot of work still to do I've done some already uh, to get up to speed I'm under no illusions that it's a new challenge and it will take me a little while just to you know get into the grasp of things but uh, all in all I think that when you get great racing it almost speaks for itself and that's what I'm hoping for and looking at the entry lists across the whole of the British Championship to be honest with you I think that they're going to make my life a little easier just through brilliant racing because it's going to be such a tough one to call so Mm. yeah different approach of course but equally as exciting and bike racing is bike racing I get a thrill and passion from seeing close bike racing wherever it is in the world whatever speed it is and so I'm just really hoping that it is as good as it sort of feels like it's going to be at the moment. The ingredients are all there for it to be absolutely brilliant. So I hope that it, that is the case. Mm. You mentioned that you were at Snetterton last weekend. Were there any takeaways from what you got to see in terms of bikes out on track? Well, I mean, we were really lucky, actually. Snetterton is my local track. I'm only about 45 minutes away from this. So I was always going to go no matter what. And luckily, the weather was absolutely brilliant on the Saturday. A bit cold on Sunday morning and then equally as nice in the afternoon. And so it was good to see a lot of track action. There wasn't a whole heap to take away because everybody really was just getting themselves in swing of things again. And for me, it was almost a couple of days of familiarising myself with the paddock, with people saying hellos and things like that. I don't like to read too much into testing. There are a couple of boys out there who did look particularly good and sharp, but there was nothing that really stood out because I just think that there's one or two riders that were holding back on what they've got. There was obviously a couple who performed very well from the word go, which was in one way a surprise and then another perhaps not so much of a surprise. 
I don't want to put you too much on the spot and I realise you have to be a little bit guarded perhaps in what you say, but is there anybody that you can already sort of foresee as being a little bit of a championship favourite? I mean, it's very hard to predict and all these bike series are so close, but anybody catching the eye or you think might be there this year? Yeah, well, I mean, it's so, so difficult. And luckily for me, there's too many names to kind of put in. I, I can certainly mention a few. My eyes were drawn to Tom Sykes out on circuit. The PBM bike looked very, very good. They had a lot of personnel inside the garage working a few things out, getting Tom comfortable. He's a man for the detail. And I was impressed, given that he's not been on British circuits for a while. And he'd never been on that Snetterton layout as well, because the last time Tom rode at Snetterton, it would have been the old yes, layout. Yeah. I was impressed, actually, with how quickly he got up to speed and so he looked very good Brooks likewise but yeah I mean honestly there's so many riders that look fantastic Jason O'Halloran I think based on his general form from last year will be a force to be reckoned with and if he can put to the back of his mind what happened at the end of last year he'll definitely be there Taz obviously as the champion came into this recovering from it was his first time on a bike since his injury Yeah, he broke his leg in Cartagena so I think it was just going to take him a bit of a while to get up to speed I spoke to Glenn Irwin as well and he just had a monster crash a couple of weeks ago and was recovering from broken bones there's a lot of riders that weren't quite there Tommy Bridewell was there but on last year's bike they're still waiting for parts to come Leon Haslam wasn't on the 22 Kawasaki and so it was just more of a run out on this you know on the bike and stuff so it's really really difficult I've written down the names of this year's riders to try and work out which eight riders are going to make it into the showdown already which is an impossible task because it just doesn't work the maths don't work there's too many riders and this was something that I mentioned to funnily enough to Dave Neal when we were speaking on the Saturday and on the Sunday by the end of round one at Silverstone there's going to be three or four riders with their nose really put out of joint because they're not going to be in the top 10 there's genuinely I believe up to 15 riders who can win a BSB race and can you imagine what it's going to feel like to finish 15 in that race so whilst that's horrible for some of them it's brilliant for us as neutrals because there's just so much talent stacked through it I mean Christian Eden going back to Suzuki as well you can't discount him and also the two lads now on Yamahas as well the Rich Energy OMG Yamahas Brad Ray and Carl Ryder two supremely talented riders mm. now excellent chance to show what they've got Rory Skinner by the way looked absolutely rapid at the test so again it's just where do you stop Danny Kent before his crash looked really really good Danny Buckin had a little spell where he looked good so it was just purely a case of walking down the garage just thinking goodness me this is insane it's, and it's just so exciting I can't wait yeah I would be surprised if at the end of this BSB season we haven't hit a record in terms of the number of winners and the number of people that have had a podium I think this year will smash that record because you just cannot call it no you can't and I think that with the showdown rules as well I think there'll be a few riders that will look at what Josh Brooks did last year and realise that you know you do need to try and be consistent if it's not your weekend pick up the points and get to the next round because it is going to be the all important part is that showdown you need to get yourself in that showdown come what may nothing else matters it will be fascinating to see how it pans out because obviously despite the fact that there are a lot of riders that could win the championship after a couple of rounds there'll be some riders full of confidence and some other riders lacking in confidence so yeah it will be interesting to see how it all goes and I'm absolutely fascinated to see how Tom Sykes goes just because it's been a long time since he was in this championship I think 2008 maybe yeah you're probably going back to the Rizla Suzuki colour scheme yeah. I think with Tom aren't we I can't even begin to think what year that would have been but it must have been the late noughties I guess 2009 2010 possibly I think something like that yeah the thing about Tom is he's come in and both Tom and Leon for matter they're not coming to make up the numbers they were both pouring over data at Snetterton I mean Tom Sykes anyway is a man for the detail I've never known anybody to stay in a garage as late at night as Tom Sykes does so yeah really really going to be interesting I also just want to add as well that Josh Brooke for all that happened last year to Josh if anyone discount him they're a fool because he is so so hungry so so talented he's a double British superbike champion and he looked very very good and comfortable on that Ducati at Snetterton and I think that bodes well for his season head. And I think that the biggest thing in his favour is that he's dropped the mullet as well which is obviously from a sartorial point of view a, a step in definitely in the right direction. What I wanted to do again because this is a bit of a BSB kind of preview show certainly for the British listeners of Motopod but equally because it's a championship that travels across the world of course as I would argue the premier domestic superbike series in the world. Well, yeah. So what I was going to do if it's alright with you Steve is we'll just sort of run through the teams in a moment and just have a 
quick chat about the riders in terms of this year and last year or before. But just as a quick aside, in terms of your commentary duties, will you be purely focused on BSB or are you going to touch on Supersport, uh, Honda Talent Cup and these other series as well? Or will that vary perhaps round to round? I mean, it could vary. At the moment, I've agreed that I'm going to be doing the British Superbike races, the British Supersport races and the, mm-hmm. the Superbike thousands. Yep. They're the classes that I'll be covering. And then there will be another commentator. And I think that, I'm not sure if that's been confirmed yet, so I'm not going to throw any names out there, but there'll be another commentator covering some of the support races because it is possible for you to come and take in all races, but you'd be burnt out by the end of Sunday if you tried to cover all of those. It's a lot of races, yeah. <laughs> a lot of action. Ready to take on anything I need to, but they are the classes that I'm assigned this year. Cool. Okay. Also, just talking about the youngsters, I'm kind of intrigued with how the age changes are going to start to filter through from this season and moving forward because I'll never forget your commentary at Kota last year when we saw the Moto3 crash with Acosta and Mino and Alcoba. I mean, that was a, in one way, it was a kind of classic moment for all the wrong reasons, but did sort of bring to the forefront. And it was immediately after that, of course, wasn't it, that the governing body announced that the age limits were going to change. So were you pleased to see that that had happened? Uh, Yeah, I, I guess so. I don't think that that is the only reason why we're seeing these incidents. There's so many things that need to be done. I think it's a step in the right direction for sure but I just think that that's just one tiny piece of the jigsaw puzzle that needs fixing I don't honestly have an answer and I don't think anyone does which is the reason why it keeps on happening yeah. and everyone has their own idea but there'll be reasons why that can't work and this can't work and I mean ultimately all we want to do is we want to see safe racing okay there's always risk attached to it and that's a part of why we love it as well but there is a limit and last year you know we lost too many riders it's as simple as that um, yeah freak accidents or not it can't keep on happening because it's just a devastating part of our sport it's the part of the sport that is always the worst too many dark days and so something had to be done I'm glad they did it I really hope that something more is done as well and that comes right from the world championship this has gone all the way down to different platforms but it has to come from there because they're setting the example so mm. they start the ball rolling they have to come up with something that works and hopefully they do without going off on too much of a tangent but on the post Qatar race show that Jim and I did I was kind of flabbergasted really that Foggia got off so lightly with that weaving on the main straight at the very end of the qualifying session and he didn't actually get a, a particularly big penalty for that he got two ride-throughs I think for the uh, sort of infringing the racing line at the beginning of that session and I thought that sent a, a, a strange message really out to everybody that he got away with the weaving in the way that he did because I thought it was very very dangerous what he did yeah as you say it comes from the top down doesn't it it's easy for me because I didn't actually see that I heard about it but I didn't actually see that particular moment it doesn't surprise me I mean one thing I will say is that I do think it's very easy for all of us myself you anyone watching at home to watch something on TV and not have obviously the various angles I do know from having been up in race direction and race control towers in the past that once you get to speak to the race directors and who are, who's in charge of clerk of the course and they give you an explanation as to why they've made a decision sometimes it does stop you in traction you go ah oh, I hadn't thought of that mm. And so always try and give the benefit of the doubt to the guys upstairs because, you know, they are doing their best. But there are obviously some clear incidents over the last year or two that need to be sorted out. And there were wrong decisions made. And this weaving on a start, finish straight, on a back straight has got to stop because we already saw what it has done in the past. And the trouble is, is that we know that it could cause a serious accident, if not worse. So it has to come from the top because otherwise it'd be all well and good if everyone was playing along nice in British Championship or at club level but it makes no difference if they're still doing it at World Championship level they are setting the example it has to stop it really does have to stop for me as well that goes for some of the cruising that goes on in MotoGP yeah. you know these are the best riders in the world and I think that they push their luck as well some of those riders you know the younger riders are watching you you're setting the example so perhaps even a little bit comes from there yeah in the interest of balance I must say that race directors have an avalanche of incidents to review pouring in at any given point in time and a decision is always right at the moment that you make it and in retrospect perhaps you would make a different decision so we must acknowledge and I thought the MotoGP Unlimited series that I've just binge watched my way through was quite revealing in that respect and what a difficult job that is and one of the things that I would like to do at some point with Motopod would be to get some of these guys on and I have to say I think that Stuart Higgs and the team in British Superbikes do an absolutely outstanding job of regulating the behaviour and it is about behaviour at the end of the day so I, I think it's an exemplary challenge championship in that regard 
Yeah, I agree at 100% with that and with everything you've said. I think Stuart does a tremendous job in setting the example, making things quite clear to all of the riders. Safety is paramount always, and I think that the British Championship does a great job of that. But I do think that sometimes it can be an impossible task to be up there and making these decisions because there is so much going on. So I don't envy them. Yeah, one day, if you get a chance, Richard, to even just be in a race control tower for maybe even half a session to see what's going on, it, it will blow your mind. It is unbelievable when you get up there and actually see what's going on and it does make you think wow there are reasons behind decisions like this being made I think it is easy to jump the gun when we're sitting at home with our cup of tea watching on the sofa and we just see like massive HD screens something happening and it's just like blindingly obvious to us but there's always some finer details that perhaps we don't get to see yeah no I'm sure the race control is like maybe not even a scaled down version of NASA mission control (laughs) on a race day so let's talk about some of the, and I'm going to focus on British Superbike teams, because if we were going to talk about all of the series of BSB, we'd be here till sometime tomorrow. So that wouldn't be fair. And it'd make my job of editing the show a little bit too difficult. So let's just have a quick talk about some of the teams. And so we've got McCam's Yamaha, reigning yep. champions. We've got Tara McKenzie and Jason O'Halloran in the team. So unchanged from last year. I think we've got to talk about the fact that what you spoke about a minute ago, which was that you can't just be good at the beginning of the season. In a sense, the showdown format introduces such a variable to the way that the riders have to manage both their physical position their mental position in particular in terms of it's kind of really a classic case of peaking at the right moment isn't it and we saw last year that one rider on one side of that garage got that absolutely spot on and the other kind of just let it fall away a little bit yeah, I mean, I think there was some bad luck involved as well for, for Jason O'Halloran, but for yep. sure you're absolutely right. I mean, it does go to show that it's all well and good being strong at the start, but it's not necessarily going to win you the BSB title. I'm really interested to know how much Jason will have taken from that. It must have hurt so, so much. I can't yeah. even imagine how much it must have hurt, especially when it's your teammate going on to win the championship. And Jason has set his stall out in his career. He said that this is the one he wants to win. You know, he's probably not going to go over to world championship. He he wants to win this championship he's been here for a while yeah it's an experience isn't it and it's a matter of whether or not he can take something from that I'm sure he can yeah he's a great talent he's a great guy as well I spoke to him briefly at Snetterton believe it or not he's one of the few riders in the paddock I've never actually spoken to face to face so it was really nice to catch up with him lovely guy means business and he knows what he wants to do but it must have hurt and as for Taz as you mentioned what a time to peak just unbelievable and I think that that alone what he did at the end of last year has to put him in as one of the favourites because he just didn't even look like he felt any pressure at Brands Hatch. Mm. How he coped everything that was thrown at him, you know, and, and across the season. And as well, it's easy to forget that he had a pretty poor start to the season in Alton Park as well. It did not go to plan. Yeah. But he just doesn't really seem to let anything affect him. He's a really happy-go-lucky rider, very approachable, and he's so resilient. He's able to, to bounce back immediately from any adversity. So interesting, even though they're in the same team again. Yeah, I think they're both both up there but yeah we'll be fascinating to see how that one works this year given how the season ended up one of the things we've opined on over the last few shows certainly I was talking to Greg and Dave about this on recent interviews was that a slight kind of frustration that there isn't some kind of a stepping stone system in place whereby the British Superbike champion isn't able to make it up to the World Series I know in practical terms that would be a very difficult thing to achieve in terms of funding and sponsorship and do you jump from one manufacturer to another will that work out but it does seem a little bit I don't know odds doesn't it that the British Superbike champion the premier domestic Superbike championship in the world and he can't get to World Superbike for lack of funds no, I mean, it's great for BSB that he's back um, and he can maybe try and emulate his dad's success. But I agree with everything that you guys said. I heard that interview you did with Greg and completely agree. I think that, you know, it should be. It should be there. If you win the British Superbike Championship, there should be a ride in World Superbike. In the past, I've not been able to speak out so much about this because I've had a Dawn shirt on. And I suppose now I can kind of say what I think a little bit more. But I do think that a lot of it comes down to the rules within World Superbike. In yeah. The fact that they're just competitive teams out there. And that is absolutely no just respect to some of those teams but there are some bikes you can enter that championship on and you are not going to win a race on that machine mm. now say what you like about BSB and the showdown whether you like it or whether you do not the rules are brilliant to the point where everyone has got an opportunity and a rider can make a significant difference as to his or her race I'd love to see World Superbike with BSB rules something similar yeah. and allow wild cards in for each weekend I used to love watching World Superbike you know when they went to the States and you'd get a couple of 
Americans come in Japan the same and you know obviously the UK we get a couple of BSB guys doing that and I know Leon Hassan is going to do a couple of World Cups this year but where we need to get to but ultimately speaking going back to Taz there's just not enough competitive seats and I completely understand why he's decided to stay put for now and hopefully he gets some justice and he gets offered a great seat I mean particularly if he goes on to win the championship again surely there's got to be yeah. a prize for him hopefully I mean as you say Steve I mean it's much to our benefit that he gets to stay in the British Superbike Championship this year and is yet another person that's going to win a hat full of races so I mean good for us but it must be very frustrating for him but anyway I mean that's obviously something we can talk about another time so moving on we've got Oxford Ducati Tommy Bridewell staying with the team he's been with them for a long time so that consistency is great I mean Tommy's a local guy to me I'm down in the southwest so he's about 20 miles up the road from me so I always kind of wave a bit of a flag for Tommy and he is kind of a little bit the kind of the runner-up guy a little bit too often I suppose but on his days virtually unbeatable as we saw at one of the autumn park rounds last year I think towards the end of the season I mean it was an extraordinary performance he just disappeared so if he can replicate that I suppose it looks good for him this year but you never know with Tommy do you? No you don't and I think that Tommy had probably one of the strongest ends to a season he's ever had you know ultimately on the final day of racing he was the only rider that could prevent Taz from winning it he was brilliant at Alton Park and I think he's come of age and I think that he's gelling perfectly if he can find some consistency he's definitely got a chance the only question mark I suppose at the start of the season will be where is he at machinery wise in comparison to the PBM Ducati which you'll come to in a moment Mm. I love Tommy I think he's a fantastic character for the championship and I don't think there'd be too many people upset to see him becoming a British Superbike champion I spoke to him at Snetterton and it's the same old Tommy Bridewell that you see on TV you know he's not looking to be a MotoGP rider he wants to race motorbikes at the weekend and then be on on his JCB on every other day on the farm (laughs) love that about him I think that's so good but it's not for the lack of effort either you know he, he works and trains very hard for his racing he's clearly an incredibly talented rider I hope that he's got the machinery under him I'm sure he has to do the job and let's hope he's consistent because without any shadow of a doubt he's in my top eight showdown uh, if I you know have to pick one out at the most so yeah uh, yeah good. I, it, might, it might be a little bit more difficult as well for him not having any data to pour over with a teammate but mm. I don't know at the moment because obviously I'm new to the championship how much access he gets to the other guys the data at PBM but I'll have to find that out yeah good luck to him okay so the elephant in the room then PBM or MCE Ducati as I think they're going by this year in terms of sponsorship team that divides opinion I think it would be not too contentious to say but let's be honest they cut the mustard don't they one of the most winningest if not the most winningest team in BSB history I would think so field in Tom Sykes and Josh Brooks again as we were talking about earlier on so I mean you have to class that as the super team in the paddock yeah I mean there always seems to be some sort of talking point around Paul Bird's team doesn't there and you know even without having been involved in the paddock in British Superbike I can see that from sitting at home I think there was a lot said off circuit about Christian Iden leaving the team after doing such a, a great job last year but you can't really say that he's done a bad job bringing Tom Sykes in I mean that's an astute piece of business yeah. that is a fantastic team they look like they've got a bit of support from some of the Italians as well and the factory the bike looked good at Snetterton that's not to say it will work perfectly over the season but Josh Brooks a double British Superbike Championship winner and a World Superbike Champion in Tom Sykes I mean that's a very very strong looking team I mean from memory I think only Neil Hodgson has won both championships has he British and World maybe and I don't think anyone's come back from Worlds and won it Mm. so yeah that'll be a fascinating one but yeah what a team a a hugely strong team the expectations must be absolutely enormous inside the game also it'll be intriguing let's be honest because they are two quite unique characters Richard how they'll get along I don't know Mm. Notorious they've both had a few hiccups with former teammates in the past so I don't know if that will play a part later in the season but you know first you've got to beat your teammate and then let's see how it goes and it'll be interesting I suppose although as we said earlier on I mean he's very well versed in the British tracks and most of them have not really changed to any significant degree since the last time he was here but it's going to be a little bit of a rude awakening I suppose for Tom coming back to the British Championship after so many years on the international circuit fascinated to see certainly in the say the first third and half of the season how he actually gets on yeah there'll be a couple I think that might be a shock to the system having been on some wide world championship circuits for the last decade or so I mean he knows all the circuits I grew up at the same time as Tom he knows them like the back of his hand it won't take him long I don't think to get back into the run of things and like I say he's a man for the detail as well I think he's got everything there to try. I've got to say, I'm really pleased to see him giving it a go because I was worried at the end of last year, that crash in Barcelona and World 
the bike. I wondered if that was the last time we'd see Tom on a bike. Mm. But he looked like the old Tom Sykes when I saw him at Snetterton. He had that, I don't want to say swagger, it's not a swagger, but just getting back onto the bike, ready to go out in pit lane. He had the smile back on his face. So I hope he's enjoying himself. That's the most important thing. And if he is, he's going to be fast and he'll be there. So yeah, it'd be fascinating. I'm interested to see how it goes on with his beard as well, because it was ginormous. <laughs> Given that he's shaved all his hair off as well, he looked like a Yorkshire Viking. So Yes, I must admit, it's a fairly hirsute face that he's got going on there. So, um, And I guess probably Tom's got a bit of a point to prove as well, hasn't he? In the manner in which he departed the World Superbike paddock, which obviously wasn't his choice. But, you know, he's rocked up in a somewhat of a similar situation to Scott Redding a few years ago. So, no, I think all power to him. I respect him a great deal for coming back to BSB and going out with a statement of intent to win the championship, which he never did before. So, yeah. Yeah, good luck to him. I think it'll be really interesting. He's got a, a completely different riding style to anyone else in that field as well. And that's something that we'll allude to a little more as the season goes on, because I know that Witt knows him incredibly well, of course, a fellow Huddersfield lad. Such an interesting lineup, that one, Josh Brooks and Tom Sykes. So it does leap out, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, we better race through some of these, otherwise we'll be here all night. But uh, Synetic BMW, so that's an unchanged lineup again. You've got Andy Irwin and Danny Buchan. So Danny, I'd say of the two, probably on balance, based on past performance at least, the slightly stronger and pretty much, I'd say, a hot favourite to get into the showdown as well. Definitely got to be in the mix, hasn't he? You know, the last couple of seasons, he's picked up some decent victories. You know, I don't know how competitive they will be. Uh, the BMW, I think, is always a little bit of a head-scratcher at times to know where it's at exactly in terms of its comparisons to others. But it's a great team. Of course, they've got Steve Plater now at the helm in charge, which is, you know, what a wise and wonderful head that is to have in that garage as well. But, you know, both of them are BSB race winners. Andrew Irwin, likewise. I don't think they'll sail through to the showdown, but they're definitely, they have to be put up there in the mix and Danny's again he's, he's another rider who doesn't really let too much get on top of him and when he's on it he looks absolutely rapid as he showed at Not Killer Course last year Yeah and then we've got the wonderful Fayho race in BMW with Peter Hickman and Ryan Vickers coming across and he's another rider that's perhaps flattered to deceive a little bit in the past but he's in a very solid setup there and he's got a super fast teammate to measure himself against which of course he didn't have before in the single bike uh, Kawasaki team that he was in so that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well yeah, he'll learn a lot of Hickey, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Peter had a brilliant season solos last year, I thought. And he did an outstanding job. Of course, he's got the roads to think about this year. You do wonder, don't you, whether or not that will play any part in how his solo season goes in terms of the short circuit racing. Yeah, Ryan, because I know Ryan quite well. He's a local to me. It's his third season. It's a big year for him. So I think if he can learn off Peter Hickman and get some confidence and just sort of steadily build throughout the year, he's got a chance of showing what he can do. But it's just such a new competitive class this year it's difficult to know how he's going to get on at this stage but he's definitely got the talent there's no doubt yeah moving on to the perennial conundrum that is the Honda racing team not really I suppose I'm, I don't want to be unkind to them but you kind of look back to the glory days of the HM plant era but that was a long time ago wasn't it and quite surprisingly in many respects from my point of view at least fielding a four bike superbike team this year so we've got Glenn Irwin Tomney Takahashi and Mizuno big team that I mean it's logistically that's quite a challenge isn't it to run I mean do you know why they run the two Japanese riders are they there just for development purposes they're, I mean obviously they're fast they're Japanese HRC riders and a little bit disturbing to hear you say that Glenn had bashed himself up a few weeks ago because he's always seems to be a guy that's riding injured yeah he sometimes doesn't bounce well Glenn but he's always got a smile on his face and he's really really quick as we've seen over the years I hope they can get the bike working because Glenn's definitely capable of delivering I'm a big fan of Tom Neve as well although he had a little spill at Snetterton as well Mizuno came into the test really hurt and injured and I think he spent most of last year injured as well you know that those guys are part of obviously as you say Japan's HRC project I don't know the full reason as to why they're building a formatting maybe they're just it's for development purposes to try and get the blade winning British Superbike races on a regular basis again I hope they can do it the bike looks gorgeous by the way you know the old Fireblade 25 year anniversary looks absolutely awesome yeah. one of my favourite teams that was so let's hope it gets its just desserts and, and gets up there because if Glenn's fit we know he can win races yeah FS3 Kawasaki a brilliant brilliant team and I'd always wave a little bit of a flag again I certainly will be doing this year well for both Rory Skinner actually and Lee Bob Jackson but I'd really like to see Jackson get into the showdown this year because he was so unlucky last year but again two super fast riders on their day yeah I've known both of those guys since they were youngsters because they both came through a fully super team so I feel like I've known them since they were tiny and now they're both taller than me which isn't difficult uh, stood at five foot 
know. Uh, spoke to both of them at Snetterton. They both look fast. They get luck on their side. They've definitely got a shout out of the top eight. But again, how far down the list do you go? Rory looked particularly good on the Sunday when I saw him out on circuit as well. Of course, it's his second year. It's a big, big year for him. But the pair of them look good. They've both got lots of talent. The Kawasaki looked good in clumps last year as well. Like you say, a really well-run team. Again, the bike looks absolutely beautiful. Mm. So I, I hope they can both have a, a big season to get along with both of them. I know their families really well. So um, fingers crossed for a big season for those guys. I'm conscious that I keep mentioning people that are going to make it into the showdown. I'm probably over eight people already. So I'm already shooting myself in the foot. But again, I wouldn't even dare to really class them as a dark horse. And you've got to figure that OMG or Rich Energy OMG Yamaha with Kyle Ride and Brad Ray are going to be strong this year. Yeah, I mean, on the Yamahas, which of course showed their speed last year, they had such an incredible year across every platform in motorcycle racing. That bike looks great. And I'm a big admirer of the talents of Brad Ray and Kyle Ride. I think that they perhaps haven't reached their full potential of what they are able to achieve. They're both capable of winning this championship, given the right ingredients. And I think they've got them there now. They've got some great new members in the team as well to help out. I think that everything's there for them to be able to fight genuinely believe one of those guys will be in the showdown I, I honestly do if I had to pick right now I'd pick Brad Ray but who knows how it's going to go they both look really good Brad Ray by the way actually really cool and calm and confident um, looked as happy as I've seen him for some years in the test as well so brilliant I suppose also goes a little bit to what you were saying earlier on about the slightly Jekyll and Hyde nature of the BMW that they were on last year so you'd figure that the Yamaha will suit both of those riders styles a bit better this year I wouldn't say it's an easy bike to ride, but I think it's proven. That'll take a lot of data as well from Steve at McCams. And I think that they can certainly learn something from Taz and from Jason O'Halloran as well. So the bike is there. And they look really, really good at Snetterton. Kyle had a little tip off actually just before I left Snetterton. But yeah, another couple of names, Richard, to throw into the hat for sure. Yeah. Okay, then we've got the Vision Track Kawasaki team, which is bringing Leon Haslam back after a couple of slightly frustrating and dispiriting seasons in World Superbike but again another man with maybe not some points to prove but he'll be hungry to get some success back yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, uh, he only won the, the the British Superbike Championship a couple of years ago and on a Kawasaki. And he's not coming back just to make the numbers up, that's for sure. He's not got the full equipment at his disposal yet. I spoke to him actually. When I tried to speak to him, I've known Leon for so long, but I tried to speak to him at Snetters and he was so, so deep in debrief with his team and with Lee Hardy. Um, and then I managed to WhatsApp him later and he sent me a voice note, and which was really, really handy. Um, and he just said that he's looking forward to getting 2022 machinery. He is up for becoming a multi-British superbike champion. There's no doubt about it. He's not coming to make up numbers or just to turn up because he's got nowhere else to go. So I think he's going to be competitive, of course. As we've been speaking, Richard, I mean, we've been talking about names for the showdown. I've been counting up the names we've mentioned. I think we've come up with 14 already and there's still some more to go. <laughs> so I know. It's, yeah, <laughs> baffling, <laughs> but good. Baffling, but good. I should also add that I believe the team Leon's going to be on this year. That's the Lee Hardy racing team, is it, that ran Ryan Vickers last year? Yeah, correct. Yeah, Vision Track Kawasaki is Lee Hardy's team. I think they've brought over Leon's crew chief from a couple of years ago when he was the champion as well. And they've got Barry Stanley working in there as well. And Lee was making it pretty clear when I spoke to him, because I've known Lee for a few years as well, that he's, I mean, they're, they're, there's no doubt, they, they want to win it. I mean, that is what they're there to do. It's great to have him back in there. I know there's a lot of people, I've noticed it, I've seen this a lot on social media, and I know social media can be a vicious place sometimes, but people complain. Mm. Bikes and Haslam are taking up places on the grid that could go to younger riders. But, you know, there's 32, 34 plus riders on the grid this year, packed full of talent from young to old. And I'm happy to see these guys in there because I want to see everyone measure themselves against the best. I'm delighted personally to see Sykes and Haslam in there because I think if you win the championship and you beat those two guys, that is amazing to have on your CV. You know what I mean? Yeah, and as a measure of the BSB Championship status, I think that these guys want to come back and win it. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely right. Completely agree. So, I mean, as you say, Steve, there's so many teams out now. I don't think we can go through every single one. I mean, we've already covered a lot of the big teams and the big riders, but just to mention a few others, I mean, we've got Chrissy Rouse coming up from Superstock on the Crow BMW team. Now, that's the team, I believe, that he won the Superstock Championship a couple of seasons ago, so he's going to be out to look to have a good season. We've got a three-rider outfit 
bit with iForce BMW. That's the PR racing team who I'm hoping to do a little bit of sort of close work with this season. So we've got Dan Linfoot, uh, Fraser Rogers and Dan Jones. So that's going to be a strong team. We've got Bjorn Nesman again on the Catfoss Suzuki. Who else have we got? We've got uh, Luke Mossy on the Tag Honda. So, I mean, just you keep on going down the list. Any of these guys on their day can podium for sure. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable the talent all the way through. Great to see some old names and faces further down that order as well that I've known for some time. Really nice to catch up with them at the weekend. I don't know if we've mentioned Build Bay Suzuki. Yeah, that's the last one, isn't it, with Christian Eden and Danny Kent. So again, a super strong lineup there. I don't know why, but there's just a feeling in my bones. I mean, if Christian Eden, I've always had a lot of time for Christian. He's very grounded. He's such a down-to-earth character. I asked him if he felt like he had a point to prove when I saw him at Snetterton, and he just said no. For him, it's just a case of getting used to the bike, and he looked really, really good on that bike. If he's comfortable, he'll be there. And Danny Kent, before he had a big spill, he looked really fast, actually, and he looks confident. So another couple of dark horses. It's ridiculous. Yeah, We'll have to over the course of the season because hopefully for our sake we'll be able to uh, narrow this down a little bit because at the moment I'm (laughs) scratching my head You would imagine that the competitive order will start to make itself apparent. But then again, from one weekend to another, or one race weekend to another, I should say, any of these guys could podium, as we say, or certainly top six. And I I really feel that any of the people that we're talking about, uh, certainly that we've talked about in some detail, at least, could stand on the top step of the podium. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like we mentioned before, I mean, you just mentioned the iForce team and I spoke at length to Dan Linfoot and I also spoke to the tag team and and Luke Mossy and both of those guys, I think they're aware that they may not be seen as favourites for the British Superbike Championship, but they are both acutely aware that they need to be consistent and they will have a shot at getting into the showdown. And that is the key thing. Yeah. Not the points because, you know, it's all well and good turning up to a round, being really strong, maybe even picking up a couple of podiums but if you can't put it together over the course of the season and getting that top eight you're not going to have a chance of getting in there and, and winning it so they all know what the job is to do and I think that there will be different tactics for different riders over the course of the season and some really gear themselves up for the end of the year some go for it from the word go and they can't help themselves so that's another fascinating element of British Superbike is the chess match almost of the mind games that are going on and how much do you want to put on offer and how much do you want to put on show in the early stages do you want to risk it all to get yourself up there and, and build your confidence but at the same time have that risk element of getting yourself injured and not you know making it into the showdown yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And uh, the other thing, again, that's great about BSB is the sheer variety of the tracks that they visit. So, I mean, hardly any two tracks are alike, are they? So it's a great challenge for riders and teams in that regard. A hundred percent. And luckily enough, I can obviously speak from experience on that fact. I mean, there were some circuits on the calendar that I used to absolutely adore and others I hated going to. And, you know, the nature of the beast is the circuits you run well at are circuits that you tend to like. So, and and that really does go for for everyone. And these circuits are completely different. Every single one you go to are completely different. Um, And there are strong riders at some circuits. And that could play a big part in how this championship goes. That's a really neat segue, actually, Steve, because the next thing I was going to ask you as we just move away from the teams was that I was going to say it's been a little while probably since you've actually physically been to some of these UK tracks. So is there anywhere in particular that you're particularly looking forward to going back to? Well, I mean, because I've spent so much time at grassroots level, I've been to most of these circuits quite a lot over the last few years anyway. So there isn't a circuit that is on the calendar that I've not been to in years and years and years and years. The only one I've not been to in a while is not Kill. I did race there a couple of times. I'd be really pleased if I turned up and it wasn't raining. And I know that's <laughs> stereotypical, but both times I went there, it was absolutely tipping down. I suppose other than that, the, the other circuit actually I've not been to in a long time is Thruxton because Thruxton actually it was almost the end of my career. That was one of the tipping points for me stopping racing Thruxton. I had a nasty incident there and I've not been back. Right. But the racing is always spectacular there but always produces a spectacle or two. From a personal point of view, I loved Snetterton because it's down the road. I've done hundreds of laps around there. My favourite circuits on the calendar, though, were always... I used to go well at Cadwell Park. 
And I really, really love Donington. Just the natural flow of the circuit. I love going there. Every time we turned up, it was awesome. Yeah, it's a great track. Thruxton's just about my local track, I suppose I could say, if I uh, ignore Castle Coombe, which unfortunately doesn't get to host the British Superbikes for obvious reasons to anybody that's ever been there. But um, just moving across now, back to the commentary side of things, and I'm assuming that there are no major lineup changes, so I'll edit this part <laughs> if needs be. But thoughts ahead for working with the likes of James Whitton, Matt Roberts, James Hayden, Shaky Burn, Rachel? stringer no oh, what a nightmare uh no i'm joking <laughs> no I, uh, all of the team as far as i'm aware they're, they're the guys i'm going to be working with and i'm really really excited about it i've been watching them on tv for a long time i obviously worked with most of them my last in mm. sport when i worked there in 20 um well from 2012 Oh, I think it might have been 2011 to 2014. So I already knew and know Matt Roberts really well. I've worked with Wit, speak to him anyway. So I already feel like I'm well acquainted with Wit and I've worked with him in a commentary box. Likewise, James Hayden. Not worked so much, obviously, with Shaky because the last time I worked with Eurosport, he was still racing. Rachel, I think, is a pro as well. So yeah, in general, all the guys and girls behind the scenes as well that you might not see on camera, a lot of them are the same names and faces. I cannot wait to get back up with them because they're a fantastic team. I'm not just saying this for your benefit, and I'm not being a, an outrageous sycophant, and I have said this on the pod before, but I have to say that the Eurosport coverage, both British and World Superbike coverage, but British Superbike in particular, is absolutely outstanding. And it is a great, great commentary team. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to being able to watch it on the days that I'm not actually at the track physically. So, yeah, great days ahead. Yeah, I can't wait. I've spoken to a producer, Tim, who I... I've known for a few years as well and we've got some good ideas and I'm hoping that I can help give some input and they can give me some input as well because with the one thing that you learn when you work with Dorna is you don't really get produced so much and so I may have picked up a few bad habits that they might need to just get out of me but yeah I can't wait Every, there's a real buzz of excitement about the whole thing about the championship about working back with Eurosport again and it feels really it feels like I'm, I'm back home again so can't wait and they, you're right they put on a spectacular show i thought that their coverage of the final round last year at brands was absolutely brilliant so yeah you're walking into that team with uh, such a bunch of talented individuals is really exciting happy days now my sort of round out question which is a slightly light-hearted thing but i hit everybody with it and you've probably heard this one already then if you've listened to a couple of the interviews previously but it's the old wish fulfillment question so it's any rider any bike any track could be at any era, could be more than one rider, just one guy going around or one girl going around on their own. Anything jump out at you in terms of a perhaps an old school track or an old school bike or maybe something modern that you'd like to see if you could have anything you wanted? Well, you mean if you could just pay any money to see someone ride on a bike at any Yeah. You know, I've heard you say this to so many people in the interviews and it still caught me out. I didn't even plan. Um, okay, yeah. Well, for me, if it was a case of having to pay money to go and watch someone ride, it would be Casey Stoner on Mick Doohan's NSR 500 uh, Ooh, at nice. Phillip Island. It's funny, Stoner and Phillip Island keeps coming up. <laughs> We've had Stoner on the, the 2007 Desmo that he won the championship on around Cadwell Park. That was quite an illuminating thought. We've also had Marquez on his 2014 Repsol around the old Hockenheim, which I thought was a pretty good shout. I think that might have been Greg's actually. So yeah, Stoner on an NSR 500 at Phillip Island. Yeah, that one makes the league table definitely. Yeah, I just I love I loved watching him race. Um, he was just an absolute pleasure to watch riding, and I just would have loved to have seen him on a 500 two-stroke smoke in the rear tire around Phillip Island. It would just be mega. I like to think that in a parallel universe somewhere that he's still racing against Mark Marquez, or at least got to race against him in the early sort of period when Mark Marquez came up, because that would have been quite a showdown between those two. Yeah, I think that was. The, the dream for everyone I still to this day I think that was one of the biggest tragedies of like in terms of what could have happened I mean imagine teammates Reps or Honda, that would have been unbelievable. So, yeah, it's a shame that, yeah, but what a rider, so incredible. He certainly was. Well, Steve, I think we've come to the end of it for now. I mean, hopefully, we might be able to catch up a, a little bit later in the season, either on another Zoom call if it uh, will stay stable for us, or perhaps we'll catch up for a quick chat at one of the rounds, hopefully, uh, a little bit later on into the year. But where can people find you on social media? Yeah, it'll be an absolute pleasure to catch up at any point. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Steve Day, and on Instagram, I'm at underscore Steve Day. Superb. And that's 
just have another quick shout out for your book available at all reputable online and otherwise retailers I'm yeah, sure. Yeah it's called That Leopard is So Rude it's for children uh, age two to seven and it's uh, available on miswritepublishing.com but if it's easier and it probably will be you can just go on to Amazon and type in That Leopard is So Rude and uh, hopefully the book will show up. And hopefully it's sequel will be out in due course as well yeah I, I, everyone keeps on telling me I need to write one about bikes so maybe I need to, <laughs> need to so. that bike is so dirty there you go there's a working title there we go <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll take a royalty on that. Okay, Steve, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for your time. And we will, myself and the Motopod listenership, will, I'm sure, very much look forward to seeing and hearing you on Eurosport in the BSB season to come. So once again, thanks ever so much. No, thank you, Richard. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to speak soon. Thank you. Cheers.